Thank you, Brendan, for reading those words of the story, the beginning of the story of Abram. Um, 75 years old, God called him to do something new. So let it never be said that God is not going to call us to do something new, no matter what age we happen to be. Um, God made something exciting and new take place in Abram's life. Um, and all Abram had to do was follow, was to uh, obey and release control of what he had, um, say farewell to his home, and move ahead to something that was unknown to him, but known to God and promised by God. Our sermon text today comes from the Gospel according to John, chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. The final couple of verses of this passage will probably sound a little familiar to you. If you're uh, keeping track, that's going to be 3, 16, and 17, some of the most famous verses in the Bible. But they come uh, sort of at the conclusion of this encounter that Jesus has with a man named Nicodemus. So hear these words from John 3, 1 through 17. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter into a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. Well, you are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? I tell you the truth, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen. But still you people do not accept testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things. And you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. 
For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. O Lord, our God, we give you thanks for this story, for this encounter between Jesus and Nicodemus and the way that Jesus points us to this strange reality of needing to be born again or born from above or born of the spirit. Help us to be born of the spirit and to have that life that is abundant and eternal. Even as we, as we sit at your feet and reflect together on these words, speak to each of our hearts. I pray in these moments. It's in Jesus' name that we pray these things. Amen. It was November 2nd, 2016. Three and a half-ish years ago. I remember exactly where I was on the evening of November 2nd, 2016, because that was the night of Game 7 of the World Series between the Chicago Cubs and my Cleveland Indians. Now, we won't recount how that game ended, because it was not so good for, uh, for my side. Well, the Cubs beat the Indians, of course, in 10 innings. It was after midnight when the game was over. They won 8-7. to seven. It was very exciting, and um, it was very disappointing for me. But some of my friends are Cubs fans, and they have not ceased to remind me about that night. I don't know why they were so excited by the win there. Uh, but that night was such a meaningful night for them as the Cubs ended their 100-year-some-odd losing streak of never having won the World Series since you know a century before. I try not to hold it against them. <laughs> I, don't, I don't always succeed in not holding it against them. Sometimes we reduce the Christian faith to that kind of an experience, a game seven of the world series kind of experience where, where when we win, we have a decisive victory to celebrate. And to be sure it is a moment of celebration when someone decides to express belief in Jesus as Lord. But then all too often the spiritual growth stops right there. The World Series has been won, the trophy has been lifted, we celebrate, we rejoice, and then we pack up all of our bats and gloves and balls and uniforms and pack them away, and maybe next year we'll pull them out again, but we'll always have the memory of that moment. We can always look back on that day with gratitude and thanksgiving, at least as long as we're on the winning side. The trouble is that Jesus doesn't talk about the spiritual life in these kinds of terms. He doesn't use this kind of language. Obviously, he doesn't use the language of baseball, which is really too bad. But he doesn't use the language of of this kind of one-and-done sort of victory thing to describe the spiritual life either. In this conversation with Nicodemus, a member of the Pharisees, one of the religious elite, he's even a member of the Sanhedrin, the, the Jewish ruling council, something significant takes place. Nicodemus recognizes that Jesus must be a teacher that comes from God because he has the power to do these miracles. And to this point in John's gospel, uh, Jesus has really only done a couple of things. 
Um, he has changed water to wine at the wedding in Cana of Galilee. And he's also driven out the money changers from the temple courts, the temple area there. There were probably other things that Nicodemus knew about at this point in Jesus' ministry. Um, and whatever Jesus has done, that has pointed Nicodemus to the reality that God must be with this Jesus character. Wherever you come from, whoever you are, I want to be associated with you because you are on the winning side. God must be with you. God was on the side of the Cubs, I guess, three and a half years ago. I try not to theologize too much about that, but some of my Cubs friends are pastors as well, and they wax eloquently about how God was on their side. That's what Nicodemus was saying. God must be with you. God, I want to be on, on your side of things because this is where the power is. And in response, Jesus says, the kingdom of God is not about winning. It's not about power. It's not about miracles. It's not about getting what you want or getting your reward. It's not about being on the right side of history. It's not even about having intellectual certainty, having all the right answers. It's not about being in control of your own destiny. It's not about being on top of the world. Jesus says the kingdom of God is all about rebirth. Being born a second time. It's not like winning the World Series. It's more like a birthday. And not a birthday celebration where we all have cake and somebody blows out candles after we sing that dreadful dirge of a song. Happy birthday. To... Why is that not a fun song? I don't... Anyway, it's not like a birthday celebration. It's like a, an actual birthday when a child is born. When a, when a baby is born, that's not the end of their journey. That's only the beginning of that person's journey. We don't celebrate the birth because the work of the mother is now done. Far from it. And we don't celebrate a birth because there is now a fully functional human being who can walk and talk and use the restroom appropriately, who has a career path all figured out, who knows whom he or she will marry, if anyone. We celebrate a birth because a new life has entered the world, and now that journey has just begun. Jesus says that no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again, born from above, born of the Spirit, born of water and spirit. Water and spirit are both uh, mechanisms or means of of the source of life. You need water, you need in you. All of those metaphors mean essentially the same thing. The, the kingdom of God is about having a new life, a new journey to experience. The kingdom of God is not the same thing as heaven. Jesus is not talking about a requirement to get into heaven when you die. 
He's not saying that being born again is something that you have to stamp on your ID card or your passport. It's not a star on your driver's license that will let you cross the bridge someday. It's not even the World Series ring that you can wear in order to prove your identity or your credentials or your deserved inheritance. Being born again is not that. The kingdom of God, being born again, is abundance of life. The kingdom of God is spiritual fulfillment. The kingdom of God is participation in the reign of God, the rule of God, the redeemed relationship with God. Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand. It is close to us. It is able to be accessed in this life. It's not about something beyond the grave. It's not about pursuing the miracles of Jesus. It's about pursuing what those miracles point toward. The miracles of Jesus point toward abundant life in Christ. Life that is inspired by God. Inspired in the Spirit, with the Spirit inside you. Being born again, being born from above, is like a birthday. It's just the start of a life in the kingdom of God. And the journey toward rebirth is really just the beginning of the spiritual life. The spiritual life is deeper and more mysterious and more abundant, more ongoing, more spirit-driven than we often believe it to be. Jesus has come into this world and has been lifted up on the cross and has gone into heaven in order to show us the pattern of life in the kingdom of God. And that pattern is not victory and celebration and winning and gaining the benefits of heaven all the time. The pattern of spiritual life that Jesus shows us is the pattern of rebirth, which means death and resurrection. To be born again means something must have gone away. Something must have died first. Uh, to, To experience abundance of life means to go through the pattern of death and resurrection that Jesus modeled for us. And Jesus was really just putting into practice in a, in a much deeper and more profound way, a principle that had been revealed through all of scripture beforehand. When the ancient Israelites were wandering through the wilderness and someone was bitten by a snake, a poisonous snake, a deadly snake, there was a pattern of death and resurrection. Not that the person would die, but that the person could be healed by looking at that bronze snake that Moses made and put on a pole. I don't know how that worked. I don't know why that worked, but that's the story that we have from the Old Testament. And, and the idea is that um, going, going into a new life means that there must be some suffering ahead of time, the, the suffering of the snake bite, and then you look in faith to God and, and God brings healing to your body. Sometime later when Israel was an established nation and needed a king, needed a new king because its first king, Saul, was not a real great fella. He was a little bit, a little bit out there um, and needed to be replaced. Uh, the prophet Samuel was called by God to go to the family of a man named Jesse. And one of the sons of Jesse would be anointed the next king. And uh, Samuel saw the first 
oldest son of, of Jesse and thought, this must be it. He's a fine, tall, uh, handsome, strong man. That must be the one that will be the king. But God said, no, that's not the one. And uh, the next son came by. No, that's not the one either. One by one, all of the sons came by and none of them were the one that God had decided to, to have as the next king of Israel. It was, it was the, uh, the, the shepherd lad, the youngest of the crew that was out tending the sheep. The one who was not big and strong and mighty and brave. The one who was just a boy, David, right, was his name. And uh, that was the one that God had chosen to be the next king of Israel. It's a death to the expectations and a resurrection to the newness of what God was going to do in the world. When Jesus was encountered by a rich young man who asked him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus told him to give all his money to the poor and then come and follow Jesus. Death and resurrection. When a tax collector named Zacchaeus met Jesus and Jesus said, I'm coming to your house today, as the song says, right? Uh, Zacchaeus was transformed by this encounter with Jesus and then decided to give half of his possessions to the poor and then to repay everyone he had cheated four times what he had cheated them, death and resurrection. After Jesus died and rose from the dead and ascended into heaven in those early days of the church, there was a couple named Ananias and Sapphira, a part of the group of disciples, and they, um, to help fund the effort, uh, they decided to sell a plot of land that they owned and give the proceeds to the group of disciples, as was the case with a lot of people in that circle. And they did that. They sold the property and gave the money, but did not give all of it. They lied about how much money they received from the from the sale and only gave a portion instead of all of it. And so they were struck dead on the spot, unable to continue on the path of abundant spiritual life, death and resurrection. Jesus went to the cross to embody these principles of death and resurrection. Jesus gave himself. He sacrificed himself. He released his control. He, he showed love for friends and enemies alike in his death and, yes, in his resurrection. And in this season of Lent, as we approach our annual remembrance of Jesus' crucifixion and burial and resurrection, we find ourselves on a journey toward death and resurrection. In order to pursue rebirth, in order to be born again, we must be willing to let something old pass away. Whatever hinders the abundant eternal life that Jesus brings, this is what we are called to release. Attachments to material things, to power, to influence or privilege or rightness or achievement. Attachments to negative self-image or to anger or hatred or cynicism or apathy. Violence or the impulse to seek revenge. 
the impulse to hit someone back instead of turning the other cheek, any time something becomes an obstacle to our participation in the kingdom of God, it's an opportunity for us to release that to God in order to be reborn, to be born again, to be born from above, to be born of the spirit. It's a new birthday. Does this mean that you or another Christian might have multiple moments of being born again throughout the course of your life? Yes, absolutely. Being born again is not a one-time only event. It's not a stamp in time that just secures your eternal identity and destiny. Being born again is the next beginning point in your spiritual journey in the kingdom of God. It's the next opportunity for you to imitate Jesus in his death and resurrection by dying to yourself and being raised in fullness, in the fullness of Christ. And then being raised in the fullness of Christ, the real work of spiritual life begins living in the kingdom of God, having eternal life, experiencing that abundance of life that Christ brings and sharing that abundance with others. So today is another opportunity for a new beginning, a rebirth into abundance of life. This season of Lent is an opportunity to release whatever obstacles are preventing you from experiencing abundance in Christ, from seeing the kingdom of God, being born in the spirit. What Nicodemus could not grasp is that releasing control is the first step toward first step forward in the spiritual life. But that's exactly what Jesus embodied as he gave himself up to the authorities to be lifted up on the cross. It's counterintuitive to release control as the first step forward. But that's the way of the kingdom of God. To be born again, to be born, is an inherently risky and uh, out-of-control experience. And that's what Christ calls us to do really every day that we live in him. Let's pray together. God, we give you thanks that the way of the kingdom is the way of being born again. Bring us to newness of life. Help us to be born of the spirit and to release those things that might be obstacles between us and you. Help us to be so committed to your way that we continually turn over those things that we might hold on to that would prevent us from knowing abundance in you. Fill us with your spirit once more. And may we live eternally and abundantly even now and share that eternal life and abundance with those around us in ways that bring glory to your name. For this and all of your blessings, we give you thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.